Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Gma's not here today. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell, and this is Peyton Jones. And, and who is bringing us this podcast today? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't set myself up there. It was the who here kitty kitty threw me again, and she's not even here. <laughs> hey, church planner. Today's episode is sponsored by PortableChurch.com. Which, if you are a mobile church or a portable church, which means you got to set up and tear down every day, then you are going to need to get in touch with Portable Church Industries. They're at portablechurch.com. And you know what? I'm going to be church planning, Lord willing, within the next year or so, at least getting my core team built up and getting ready to go. And I promise you, I will be in touch with these guys because I will be a mobile church. And PortableChurch.com is going to change my life, and it'll change your life as well. Get in touch with them, PortableChurch.com. Awesome. So uh, my... my uh, Yeah, I can't wait to hear this story. Come on. I've been waiting like, well, it, it was going to be a month, but you shorten it by three weeks. Pete tells me, I got this thing, but I can't tell you for a I month. I think I built it up too much now. Now it's not nearly as cool. Well, when you tell me you can't tell me for a month, that, just, that is the buildup. So, guys, here's what happened. <clears throat> I got this letter in the well, mail. Well, wait, wait. Can we back up, though? Because okay. this goes I, I'm, all I'm the way back. I'm, set, I'm, I'm setting that okay. part up. All right. I'm setting that up. I got this letter in the mail that so disturbed me, distraught, brought brought. Shame and anguish, and I was in the dumps. I could not talk about it. I couldn't tell my wife about it. I couldn't tell Peyton about it. I could not 
talk about this. And, and Peyton's like, man, what, what's, you know, what's going on? I'm like, dude, I can't talk about it. I can't. And he goes, well, I got something I got to tell you too. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I go, what? And he goes, my daughter's got a tumor. I'm like, dude, I cannot now <laughs> talk about this ever to you because my daughter's got a tumor versus Pete's stupid problem over here. <laughs> Ain't even in the same ballpark. It is nowhere close to each other. Just helped put your little problem in perspective now, didn't it? It did. It did to the point where I was like, this is ridiculous. I can't. So it took me three or four days to where I finally got the nerve up to call these people to find out what was up. So this is why it's, I can't, I almost, I'm like ashamed you're going through like my daughter's got a tumor and this is Pete's problem that he couldn't let, even talk about. Let me just see if I know what it is. Okay, okay please, go ahead. Please. No, okay. I want you to get these are These are things that went through my mind. Pete has a tumor. Yeah, no. No. Um, let's see. This is a fun game. Um, uh. They told Pete he couldn't get a license to carry in at least one state somewhere in America. (laughs) They told Pete they were out of stock of a certain mod on a gun that Pete wanted. Um, They, let's see. um, I did think health related. I really, or I thought someone's coming after Pete. Pete's going to court. Of course you think health related. You're you're a decent human being. <laughs> like that would at least be <laughs> Wait, wait, I got it. I got it. The Columbia tape of the month has finally caught up with you and you owe them $96 because you did not fulfill your commitment. You thought you were done with them. <laughs> okay. Here, I'll, I'll let you see who it's from. Oh. Oh, you got rejected to be a chaplain? To be no. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Oh, because oh, I was putting you on the right side of the law. Okay. It says yep. Orange County Sheriff's Department. Go <laughs> on, Pete. All right. So you guys got to understand our state, our blue state is not like a real free state. We're the communist state of California. So as, as you guys have been listening to the podcast, you know, Petey has taken up the hobby, the sportsmanlike hobby of shooting. Hey, it was wearing Star Wars underwear for a while. Then it became driving your uh, Charger. And then, oh, you know, they came out with a new version, right? Of the Charger? Yeah, it went. It goes Charger, Hellcat, Demon. And then there's another one now. That's really? even, yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll find it for you. I saw it last week and I'm like, well, oh, Pete knows this. the demon. They were only going to do that for one year and a limited run and all that other. Yeah. There was another one that was even worse. So anyways, go ahead. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so in California to exercise your constitutional right to carry a concealed weapon, uh, even though it's a constitutional right, we're, we're the communist California. We don't really care about the constitution here. You got to apply many counties in uh, it's controlled by the the sheriffs for each county. Many counties in California just flat out won't issue San Francisco, San Mateo, Alameda. No, you're not going to get one. We're not going to give it to you. It doesn't matter that that's unconstitutional. San Diego, really, really difficult to get it. Uh, And the Supreme Court 
refused to hear the case because uh, this guy was denied it because they said he didn't have a good enough reason. It doesn't matter. The Constitution says you can't infringe on it. But here in California, Constitution is kind of like, well, you know, it, it's it, I, I mean, it, it's like we once upon a time believed in that. Eh, it's just a cool little document we talk about now. So I get this letter. I applied for mine. I applied for my concealed carry permit because I don't want to be a sheep. I want to be a sheepdog, right? That's it. I just want to be a sheepdog. I want to be able to protect my family. Here's my letter. It gets better, man. It gets really better. On January 4th, 2018, you applied for a concealed carry weapon license through the Orange County Sheriff Department. In order for the department to proceed, you're being referred to the psychological examination portion of the CCW process. <laughs> you got to understand, like, no one. I don't know one, what that is. No one gets asked to take the psych exam. Like, no one. Oh, no. They're going to make you take the psych exam? I had to take the psych exam to continue. Oh, and you were worried that you weren't going to pass. I don't know why they asked me to take it. I'm thinking, <laughs> is it because I work with pastors? Because I put all this, you got to give them a reason. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, I work with pastors. That. I'm like, is it because I buy a new handgun every 30 days? Like in California, you can only buy one handgun every 30 days. And so I'm like almost, and they actually print it on there. They tell you what minute and second of the day at which you can buy your next gun. And I'm like almost to the minute going, okay, now I can buy my next one. Right. Now I can buy my next one. I'm right. like, Dude, maybe they're like, who's this crazy guy who all of a sudden has decided to have a small arsenal in his garage? That's hilarious. And so I'm like, dude, what did I do? What did I like? So then I make the mistake of going on the Internet and searching psychological exam, California, CCW, to find out what everyone's saying on there. And everyone's saying, look, if you got asked to take that exam then there is probably a really good reason you got asked to take that exam. And you probably are crazy. And another guy is like, I got asked to take it. And it's not designed to determine if you have a mental illness. It's designed to determine which mental illness you have. Oh, gosh. And there's oh, so so you, you consulted the pooled ignorance of the ign internet, did you? Hey, well, he got denied based on his psychological uh, exam. I, hey, I could have denied him based on his blog post. <laughs> Any Anyone... Anyone, sorry, present company excluded, of course. Anyone who's loathed to take a psych exam has something to hide. Present, well, present company accepted, of course, Pete. And then, and then his, his other thing was there were questions on the test like, have you stopped beating your wife yet? He's like, that's a loaded question. You can't say no because I never started beating. And you can't say yes because <laughs> then you admit that you did beat your wife. <laughs> so, like, I got all these thoughts going through my head. I'm like, dude, they're just trying to keep me down. Like no one gets denied a CCW in Orange County. That's they right. have a 98% approval rate in Orange County. And I get asked to do the psych exam. Me. So rad. I love it. So I could not tell you this because I was so disturbed. And then your daughter has a tumor. And I'm like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Who cares about this stupid thing? Hey, I want to read your psych exam. Did you get it back? No, they won't give it to you. Oh, because man. if they deny it, they don't want to like, you know, they don't want to give you fodder for your lawsuit, which is obviously coming. So then, then there are other people on the internet who are like, 
you, this one guy's like, I've taken it three times in the last seven years. It's no big deal. And then another guy's like, look, you know what? I trust my neighbor with my kids and he got asked to take it. So I'm like, I don't know what to believe. Right. Oh, the wow. That's split on this topic. So what was it like? Well, it's uh, a multiple choice test for 536 questions and then an hour interview. Oh, so tell me you, about the interview. I'll get to that here in a second. <laughs> Mr. So, Mitchell, do you enjoy torturing small animals? They asked that question. Define, I know oh, they asked that question. No, the questions that they asked were everything from yeah. porn to um, – uh, have you had sex with animals? I mean, were you, on a, were you on a polygraph? Do I want a polygraph? No. Were you on a polygraph? No. no. That's a, no. Okay. Not to mention, it's done by an office <clears throat> in Encino. Wow. Which you know, everyone up there is liberal as heck, and I'm like, and I'm trying to get a CCW, and I got to get them to sign oh, off man. on it. I'm was like, there was there a mirror in the room? Like, was there a panel of people on the other side of that glass? <laughs> No, there wasn't. Okay, tell me. I can't wait to hear this. So then the letter goes on. You know, here's where you got to take it. By the way, it's an extra $150. Um, if you have any questions, email your correspondence to the uh, sergeant of the CCW unit. So I email him. And I email him because this is like three or four days later. I email him because I'm like, dude, like, can I just give you a bunch of referral letters from pastors? It shows I'm not crazy. Like, I'm I'm disturbed. Like, why am I being asked to do the psyche valve? Right. I literally I don't even have a parking ticket. Like, I got nothing on my record. Right. So that you know of. Well, that I know of. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what they're. You know, you always hear about your permanent record as a kid. Maybe it finally <laughs> caught up with me. I knew I should have turned in that science project. <laughs> You know, oh you know what's funny is, did I ever tell you the time that uh, I had to get the global clearance for international? You know, like when you're coming through customs, I just go to one dude now and I'm done. And uh, don't wait in any lines. Why? Well, I, I went through this thing and uh, I had to go down to the border at, at Tijuana and literally um, go into this customs office there and... I sat down and the guy goes, you, you realize this being recorded? Yes. And he goes, do you realize you've been uh, pretty much we've done background checks on you at least three times since you entered the building? I'm like, what? It was creepy, dude. Nice. He pointed out all these cameras and he says, oh, yeah, we've we know everything about you. And he started listening off. Boom, 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 boom. Because you give him information. But the second you walk in at your appointment. They're boom, boom. They're checking everything. They're checking your record in the last light. Since you filled out that, it's usually like a couple months. Dude, it's creepy. I, it's I, so it is a creepy experience. That's funny. That was for travel, not for not for killing people. <clears throat> well, this is a for You know they're listening to this podcast right now. Shh, they're listening. Doesn't matter anymore, baby. <laughs> Doesn't right. matter anymore. So I emailed the guy. I emailed the sergeant. And I'm like... Can I give you letters of recommendation from pastors? Can, I mean, I'll come in and meet with you personally. I'm like, don't send me to Encino. It's a four-hour test. Mine ended up being like closer to five. It's two hours to get from my house to Encino. It's two hours to get back. It's a day out of my life, right? So I, I'm disturbed. Meanwhile, I've already gotten my Arizona concealed carry weapons permit. Because Arizona's like, no, if you're legally able to do it, the Constitution says you get to do it. Here's your permit. 
and they just give it to you. Like it took less than a month to get it from Arizona. Unfortunately, California doesn't recognize Arizona's permit or I'd be good to go. So, uh, so I called the guy and the guy was really cool. And I could tell he was telling me stuff that he wouldn't tell the average person. So he goes, look, <clears throat> there's two ways that you get flagged for the psyche valve. One is there's something on your application that triggered it. He goes, I've looked at your application. There's nothing there that triggered it, which made me feel good. And he goes, the second way is every 50 to 75 people get randomly selected and they got to go take it. He goes, you won the lottery. <laughs> you randomly got no selected. way, dude. Got to go take it. So that made me feel worlds better. It wasn't like. You know, uh, Pete buys a gun every 30 days. He's 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 crazy. It wasn't anything like that. I was randomly selected. So I called up the, the people. Took like four weeks to get in there. That was last Monday. Went up there, took it. The lady was so <clears throat> liberal. It was obvious she was liberal. So in California. She was looking at you with disgust like you CCW. Meanwhile, this is the first day I'm on a cane. I can barely walk. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, it takes forever to get this. I am going to this stupid appointment. I am doped up on so much pain meds, ibuprofen at this point. But I'm like, I've got to get to this test. I got to get this stupid thing done. So, you know, I, I had to sit through. I was literally waiting in their lobby for almost two hours for my one-on-one -on -one exam. And the, the biggest thing that she had a problem with, like in California, you got to have a reason to get a CCW. It doesn't matter that the constitution says you get to do it in California. They want a reason. And so she's like, what's your reason? And I'm like, dude, I didn't know. I even need to remember what did I write down as my reason? <laughs> so I'm like, uh, well, you know, I hire felons cause Wayne is technically a felon. <laughs> so that was part of my reasoning. And so she's like, well, you know, I don't think you should be hiring felons. You know, maybe you should let someone else hire them. And then once they've proven themselves, then you hire them. And I'm like, that's not really giving people a second chance now, is it? Yeah. Like that, that's not, well, if you got a gun on you, I mean, and you're around felons, they could take it away from you. I'm like, funny, so funny how the liberal agenda always assumes someone else will do it. Well, and the other thing, too, is they're like, well, if you're around a felon, they could get to your gun. Well, so so should cops not have guns on them because they're around felons like all day long. Right. I mean, this is ridiculous. Right. And I was Logic just like, stops here, folks. This is the reason I want the gun is because I'm around felons. I'm, I'm going to uh, volunteer with prison ministries. So, uh, you know, I'll be around even more felons and felons got friends on the outside. And I've seen Shawshank. I know what goes down. So, you know, she's basically like, uh, you know, trying to get at if I have some deep seated fear. And, and in the back of my head, I'm like, dude, I'm not really afraid of anything. I just want to be able to carry a gun. <laughs> like, I, I want, I don't know why. I just think it's cool. I got the license to do it. I've got the power. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is, right? It's yeah. like. Got the charger. Check. I got the Star Wars underwear. Check. What would complete me? I'll tell you. CCP, baby. Uh, <laughs> did, did you, did you get it? So then a week later, I get the email 
and the text, you've been approved. Wow. So that was Tuesday. So Tuesday I ran, I literally like got the email. I'm like, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> Never seen Pete hobble on crutches so fast. I got, I got the CCW. Was, oh, oh, was, oh, oh, yeah. I know we already lost them. And there's no point in even saying, but if you're new to the podcast, 20 minutes in, uh, this is what we call smack talk. We will talk about church planning in a minute, but uh, I'm sure by now you're like, ah, this thing, man. Pete with his guns. Yeah. Pete's not allowed to talk about his guns, but this is kind of a gray area. You know, we, we... We got to the end of the Star Wars Underworld. We got to the end of the Charger. Pete's got to get this out of his system every few... You know, look, he's approaching midlife crisis age. And... Did did you record it on your end? Yes, I did. Okay, good, because... Oopsie. Oh! Hey, that could have been a divine stroke. That's all I'm saying. Could have been a divine stroke of providence. But here's the deal. Um... The the reality is that uh, we we gotta let. I always tell Pete this is better than having an affair. You know, you, you go get a CCP if you need to. Go get a charger. Wear as much Star Wars underwear as you possible. Wear two at the same time, Pete. It's better than the alternative. Yeah. So uh, all I can say is, I am I'm now licensed to carry. Nice. I'm not licensed to carry nice. in something like 35 states. I think there's 15 states I'm not licensed to carry That's in. That's rad. I'm I'm just glad you don't go to Refuge Long Beach anymore because you know how much temptation that would be. We I have to protect the king. I put that down <laughs> as one of my reasons. I have to I'll protect put, the president. I put a Refuge Long. I go, look, I work with church planners, and let me give you an example of one of the churches Here's the crime stats for where they meet. I was the treasurer at this church. I mean, I, I put everything down. I put yeah. everything down that I could put down. So anyway, that story. I, I had to carry the canvas bag away every Sunday. And let me tell you, it was like walking through a war zone. Last weekend, I was supposed to go through a rifle training. Today, I was supposed to do a shoot night, which is for CCW people. My knee was so bad, couldn't do any of those. So last night was the first night I was able to go to the range. And I'm, I was like, oh, I missed you. It was so fun. And I'm telling you, man, I was on. I was like, I was on. That's all That's I can the say. funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> no I can see Pete. I just, I just He's my, hugging I, I his gun. Like, I was like petting it. Oh, I missed you. I missed you. He's hugging it. If you're deeply offended, just know I am the Yang to Peter's ying. Here's the deal. I am not a carrier of firearms. You do not have to be so to think this is funny. Um, yes, we, we are, we are a neutral zone. We balance each other out on this issue. So, uh, I ended up seeing solo. It was really good. Yeah. I'm still boycotting them. Uh, did you see that the sales were down? They Quite were horrible. And I am so happy. Because, I, I am too. They yeah, but I'm still going to go see it on my birthday. When's your birthday? It's I figure she learned her lesson by now. I'll go see it. My birthday's coming up Sunday. So yeah. uh, all of you who are on Facebook wondering, what should I get, Peyton? Amazon gift cards are my favorite. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Nope. I changed my mind. 
what would complete me on this 45th birthday is if you guys would leave reviews on Reaching Unreach, which Pete kind of laughed that I asked you guys last week to do that, but I have 130 on Church Zero. How is it I have 100 less for this book and it sold way better? That's because people are like, they're, they're, uh, they're in shock after they read the book. They're in shock. I, I think so. I think they're like, hey, man, we just got to get on with our life and go on mission. Goodbye. Don't have time for Facebook, uh, or excuse me, Amazon.com reviews, uh, forward slash reaching and reach book. I don't know if that's what it is, but if you guys want to really say thank you and we appreciate what you do, Peyton, that's what you can do. And by the way, if you do appreciate, uh, what we do, by the way, I was, I was somewhere this week and the guy was saying, Oh man, I love your guys' podcast. And I always feel kind of sheepish, like, because we know, right? It's like when I run a church, we all know it's not the best church, you know? We all know it's not like running a, a I, great I show. Like people who are like, oh, I listen to your podcast. I immediately freak out. Like, I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They know too much. <laughs> we don't hold back anything on this. What did I say and offend you with? Well, so my wife does not listen to the podcast. She says, because, you know, we have this deal where, like, you and I, we goof off, and it's not carnality. It's just dude. It's like dude stuff, but we never cross the line. Like I don't say anything I wouldn't say as a pastor, but we definitely screw around a bunch. And like, there's I don't joke about sin. I don't screw around. Like sexual things are not funny to me. Porn is not funny to me. Um, getting drunk is not like it's not those things. But I think everything kind of above the line. You and I, it's just, it's like two guys laughing together. My wife goes, it's just very male. And I was like, fair enough. It is pretty much a very male podcast. That's probably because there's two males talking on it. But anyways, I want to hear, don't give me, now, I see I can't ask you for Solo because uh, you're going to spoil it. You're going to tell me you gave birth to the Wookiee. You're going to see how Solo and Chewbacca hook up. You're going to see how... Technically, Han gets his last name of Solo, which is kind of stupid. Oh, okay. All right. And it kind of doesn't make any sense, too, because he talks about his dad. So why? I wonder how Luke got his last name, Skywalker. (laughs) It could have just been that Lucas made some really funny last names. But anyways, that's just kind of me. Yeah. So, uh, do you think Palpatine was actually his last name he grew up with? <laughs> <laughs> Bartholomew Palpatine, um, I, turn forward, please, while the teacher's talking. What I will say is, uh, the villain at the very end of this one, you're gonna find exceptionally cool. Oh, yeah, is he the guy with the cool mask? With the like, I'm not gonna tell you, off his head? you're gonna be like, you told me, and then all right, all right, all right, all right. All right. But you know Palpatine when he was a kid in school, he was hey, like, I it's Palpatine. It. I got to take Luke to see it on Saturday. Come with. I got to do something else for my birthday on Saturday. Luke is going to be wearing Poe Dameron outfit. Bring your daughter and Dude, her Jedi. Come with me on Sunday. I'm I'm going on Sunday. I got Well, I might go on Sunday, too. It was that good. I, I think I might do a three-peat. Yeah, it's, it's, oh, no. Don't give her more money. <laughs> what are you doing? No, Wait for the DVD now. It, it was good. Resist, Pete. Be a rebel. It was it was good. <laughs> I still don't care about episode nine. Ugh. 
because episode eight was so horrid. Yeah, I don't think Disney cares much for episode nine either, and particularly after this, because this is definitely a backlash. I mean, they came yeah. in at like eighty-four million. Yeah, uh, and for a Star Wars film not to like break two hundred is crazy. You know, I love how they're like, oh, maybe the market's too flooded. Really? Uh, look at how many Marvel comics movies right. come out, and they all break the record. Break. It's because you haven't ruined the franchise, right? And you didn't you didn't tick off your fan base either um, when it came to Marvel fans. Whereas Star Wars, she and when I say she. Uh, it, it is the current director of Lucasfilm. Um, her name's Kathleen Kennedy. She made the statement. And, and this is just something that you can't do. She makes a statement to the fan base. Oh, you know, you guys get over yourselves. You'll throw your money at us the last, the next film. And so basically the fan base started a movement that said, oh yeah, we're going to boycott the next film. And it'll reflect at the box office. And they laughed. Disney laughed. They're like, you can't take us on. And it's it's definitely been a David Goliath moment. Makes me proud to be yeah. a, an angry fanboy, quite it's frankly. True. It's true. Unfortunately, it's true. <laughs> it is unfortunately true. But hopefully, they will have learned a valuable lesson. Give it back to JJ. JJ did what everybody's demonizing JJ, but JJ is just playing the political game he's got to play. You know, where he's got to say, no, no, I like nine. It was good. He didn't. He had nothing to do with it, but he's got to clean up the mess. And my hope. I think that what they ought to do, if they wanted to make it right with the fan base, publicly apologize. Remake it. Remake it. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely think. You know, we screwed up. We know uh, Carrie Fisher's dead. We got to remake it. Yeah. We got to remake it. They could even remake it by stripping all of Luke's scenes out. You could have that scene that he does at the beginning, at the very beginning. Don't have him die. Just have him show who he is, how powerful he is, right? Where he does the hologram. And then Kylo's like, what in the heck just happened? And he's like, I'm back. Deal with it. And then he starts training Ray. And then we carry on and we see him in the third film. Now, you know that would be golden. Yeah. She goes, finds him. He comes back and he just says, this was only a message. Boom! Come on, why don't I get a job in Hollywood? Come on, you're a film major. Let's do it, brother. Hey, everyone, we're folding down the podcast. Pete and I have a new calling. It's to save Star Wars. All right? Continue on with your little church planning adventures. We appreciate you. But, uh, oh, no, wait, we're taking off our fan base. Okay, never mind. I, I, I apologize. I don't think our fan base is really a fan base. I don't <laughs> think that's the right term for it. Yeah. Oh, I, dude, we, did a, we did a webinar yesterday with uh, Ed. Ed Choi, we're doing the uh, the wedding pastor. When you just stuff. say Ed in the context of church planning, you know everyone goes to Stetzer. So it was good that you <laughs> that you clarified that. That's, you know, with Ed. Point. Yeah, because in my mind, it's Ed Choi, <laughs> who's white, but his last name is Choi. How did he term it one time? We were talking to him. He goes, "Yeah, I'm a white guy with the last name Choi." He goes, "How is that? How do we collect these? We have Ed Choi, who's white, and then we have White Tyrone, or." The church planner formerly known as White Tyrone. He doesn't like it when we call him White Tyrone, so we don't do that anymore. And just just so we're clear, not everyone in Bible Winter Circle is white. <laughs> no. It's starting to sound like we're heavy on the white side. No, we're not, actually. So um, We're male. So, we're definitely not the white male stereotype. Ed has put together this great training for uh, for pastors on how to be a wedding pastor. Like He makes an extra about $20,000 a year doing weddings for unchurched couples in his community. And he's able to bring in these couples into his church 
and also share the gospel with them big time in the pre and post marital counseling. And so he's put together this whole program. We wrapped it into the Bible Inner Circle. Um, in fact, if you guys want to find out about it, just go to BibleInnerCircle.com forward slash wedding and you'll see the webinar that we just did. And um, and I kid you not. So we did this webinar with Caesar Kalinowski. And I, I started getting the emails again. The emails from the past. Oh, no. Jerks. Oh, no. And, and this one guy's like, I'm the guy that called you out in the webinar and you banned me from the webinar and blah, 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 blah. And he just starts going off. And I, all I could do is I just replied to him, I'm going to pray for you, man. <laughs> I just was like, dude. Wow. I'm like, you guys, what is with? What, what do you mean like a guy called you out? Oh, he just said, oh, you guys are just here to make money. You don't want to help pastors. You haven't given us anything valuable in this webinar. Blah, 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 blah. He's just, he's, he's, it's a self-righteous thing. He thinks he's, he's the self-righteous. He's the perfect yeah. pastor, the perfect model of Christianity. And, and how dare anyone think that he not uh, be, you know, all that he thinks he is. Yeah. All I did was I just banned him. I was like, dude, shut up. I just banned him on the webinar because he was saying this stuff publicly. I'm like, you don't get to you don't get to ruin my webinar because you got to stick up your backside. Right. No, you know, it's followed up with an email later. And I was like, dude, you're such an idiot. And he, okay, send it to me. I want to read it. I'll send it to you. All mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So, you know, with that whole thing, we are going to talk about money today. And uh, money is is obviously the root of that guy's evil. Um, here's the thing. Wait a second, Doc. Right, Scott. It's time for this week's topic. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. I, you know, it's funny because I do agree in in one sense, not with his application to us, but I do think that um, there are people out there just off to make a buck who aren't offering anything of value. I will say, however, that Bible Inner Circle uh, is not. And we have guys that, you know, they've just, they've gotten immense value out of it. And you're teaching them to be you. And you're my richest friend. So that's right there. It's, it's actually just a sad case of how many friends you have, because that's... <laughs> well, you know, the day you buy me, hey, I'm just saying, I, I told people I almost, almost talked into buying me a charger. So, you know... That that was, but hey, you know, I'm 45. It's a big birthday, Pete. That's all I'm saying. It's Sunday. There's still time to go out and get me one. <laughs> your lease. <laughs> so here's the deal. When when it comes down to it, guys, we want to talk about money today, and and what right do ministers have to make a living? That, that's a subtitle, but the main topic, because this ties into it. Is are Christians required to tithe? And and even that is a subtopic to the real topic. The real topic came from a question that I got uh, from a church planner who just emailed and he said, Hey, I'm reaching unreached. Um, kind of like you talk about in your book, cha-ching, reach in then reach Amazon review. Leave a review. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, happy birthday to me. Um, but here's the deal. When you, uh, when you look at it, it it is a legit problem that when you really start going after people that nobody else is, 
Um, in, in your support, let's say you got a church that says, Hey, we'll support you for two years going into that neighborhood. And maybe you're working as a tent maker, what have you. At some point, the church has to carry its own weight. Now, okay. Aside from the philosophical issues you can get into that, you know, it, it can be relatively cheap to do church, right? I mean, you can do house church and that's, that's, I would say relatively free. You can do potlucks. A lot of times one person or, or a small group of people end up footing the bill for everything, even in that model, right? You just got people that go, Hey, you know what? I, I make a lot. I'll give a lot. Like Paul says in Corinthians, but anything you centralize, as Hugh Halter points out in his book, Bivo, you have to pay for. Whatever is decentralized is free, but whatever you centralize is paid for. And so uh, there is a biblical mandate to give. Um, the real question becomes when you try to get people that are uh, maybe disenfranchised, they're, they're the, the duns, they were done with church, but they appreciate what you're doing, they come back, um, or people that are completely new to the religion thing. Um, the, the old saying is true, the last thing to be converted in your life, the last part of a Christian to be converted is his wallet. And it was Tozer that said that. And Jesus made that statement that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And, and so, you know, uh, you can flip that around where your, where your heart is, your treasure will be. It's where you invest. Whatever, wherever your heart is invested, your money will be invested there too. And we know this. So like right now, um, Pete's super into guns. So he's investing in that, right? Like that's just a natural rule of life. If you're, uh, if your passion is to build your business, you're going to invest your money in that. And what Jesus, and by the way, that's not to say that if you're doing those things, your heart is not in the kingdom. It's just a rule of life. But Jesus is applying that now to the faith. Faith is often something very nebulous. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, um, Jesus is saying the same rule applies. You will invest your time, your resources, but your money, your treasure uh, into whatever uh, you're passionate about. And so right away, um, from the very beginning of the old Testament, um, worship was connected to giving. It was just a part of your worship. So if you wanted to worship God, it was always based on what you could afford. So there was a tithe. You were to give a 10th of your income. It, it, tithe means 10%. It's a, it's a, it's an old English word we don't use anymore. But a tenth of your income was to go to support, get this, it, it, by the way, it wasn't to pay for the animals that you sacrificed. It wasn't like you pay to play. It was literally that you were supporting the Levites, the ministers. Now, the New Testament brings that same thing in. We are still told to give to support ministers. And that, when, when you hear the argument, that people say, oh, well, tithing isn't biblical anymore. That is kind of true. You never see where Paul says, hey, give 10% of your income. But what Paul does say is you need to see that those who teach and labor in the word are worthy of double honor. And now, um, recently in the news, we had, uh, I can't remember which televangelist it is. They all look the same to me. They're all a bunch of false prophets. 
But when uh, the, the recent million dollar jet, yeah, yeah, you had to have it. And he's on the show with with Kenneth Copeland. And I'm sorry, but it's my duty as as a minister of the gospel to call out heresy and false teaching to protect not only the integrity of the gospel but also uh, the saints. So here you got you know these guys. You know they're they're total false prophets talking about how they need their million dollar multi million dollar jets. And I, I guess where I start really some is this is apparently a conversation he could relate verbatim that he had with God and about God telling him that, that he needed to get this jet. And that's always where, you know, you hear this stuff and you go, okay, that that's not right. Like, I don't, how you choose to live based on your income is clearly a biblical personal choice. But when you're fleecing the flock, that is different. When when Paul says you're worthy of double honor, I don't think he's saying that, you know, you're worried or you should be paid for the ministry at at the at the price point of a rock star. And I know that Paul didn't do that, right? Um, did he mean double the income of what a person in that area makes? Possibly. But most scholars think that double honor literally means that you pay them the honor and respect due them um, as leaders, but then double honor was a term that literally meant you honor them not just with your attitude, but you also honor them with something physical and, and substantial. So it was a it was kind of a colloquial saying. I got a whistle going in the background, by the way. Uh, Chuck E. Cheese last night. Thank you. Yep, yep. It's the equivalent. We 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 got quite a few tickets, and we could buy a whistle at the end of five hundred tickets. So that was rad. But um, I'm kind of I'm kind of disappointed you didn't invite us to go to Chuck E. Cheese. My kids love Chuck E. Cheese. You, dude, I I realized last night what a genius place. I I see all these parents doing all these tasks at their table. They're like, here, kids, here's some tokens. Run wild, and their kids are gone. Like, food done. Right, like for fifty bucks, I know that's a chunk of change. Wrist, you can't get out with someone else's kid. That's it. So these parents are like totally. I saw one parent like look like they're writing the great American novel. <laughs> another another parent, no joke, was gambling. Like <laughs> gambling next to me, I'm like, so the kids are gambling with you know Chuck E. Cheese tokens, hoping to you know really hit hit bank. And now mom's over there, you know, doing the online casino as well. Was touching. Some things are priceless. In life, Pete. But here's the deal. You know, you're, uh, you're really, you know, when here's the thing, guys will say stuff. I don't know where I was, but uh, the main point um, you'll hear the question, you know, how do I get people to give? And you do, you just have to tie it to worship. One of the most successful church planners I know. And by the way, I don't, measure successful church planning by the size of your congregation. I, I think that's a terrible way to justify whether a church is successful. The way I judge whether a church is successful, because, uh, and that's not a cop-out. Like, I could grow. I, I have a preaching gift. I, I know all the tricks. I know all all the strings to, to, to pull. I think what we do um, in, in the network that I founded years ago, New Breed, and the churches that I planted are is much harder to do. And that is to actually penetrate lostness in your surrounding area. And that that right there, to me, is the metric of success. Are you penetrating lostness? Are you seeing conversions? Are you seeing unchurched people church? That is the key. Are you making disciples is really the litmus test. Because you can't reach lostness 
unless you're making disciples. So it's not like evangelism and discipleship are juxtaposition against each other. They're part of the same coin. When Jesus disciples people, they go on mission. So it, it's all connected. A fully formed disciple goes on mission. So when, uh, when you have a church that's reaching lostness, that's successful. Well, a, a buddy of mine has a church in Cathedral City, just outside of Palm Springs. He's one of the first guys that I helped train when I got back from Wales. And he, from day one, stood up in his pulpit and he would say, hey, everybody. And it was that one liner. We've talked about this before. But I learned a lot. You know, you learn from your students. I really learned from him because there was that time where I was like, hey, we're in the inner city. There's no way I'm taking a collection. And I can't remember who it was that challenged me, but he said, hey, you're robbing those people of being able to give. They're homeless, but they're worshipers of Jesus. And you're robbing them. You, you feel you're robbing them if you take a collection. But by not doing so, you're robbing them more because you're robbing them they may only have a, a dollar. It may be the widow's might, but Jesus says they're giving more than anyone else. Do not rob them of that. And I was convicted. I was like, dang, you're right. But my buddy in Cathedral City, he, he from day one, he's been fully supported because he started off doing this. Hey, everybody. Um, one of the ways biblically that we worship God is we give out of what we have. And so that's going to be a part of our worship service today, just as part of your worship to God, give from God, you know, something, something from, you know, and it's just a one-liner. I, I, I don't have the exact line he said, but we do something like that at, at Refuge Long Beach. And it's always been the most effective way for us is not to have a big preamble, not to do a giving series, but just to say that one line and weekly keep it in mind in, with people that giving and worship are connected. It has been since Cain and Abel. It has been since Abraham. Everywhere he went, he gave to the Lord of what he had. He did wine offerings. He did um, uh, sacrificial animals. He did, you know, there's always that idea. It even points out that Abraham paid a tithe uh, to Melchizedek that he gave him a tenth of all he owned. And, and later on, Hebrews comes in and says he was... He was uh, paying a tithe because Christ was in his loins. Like, you know, it was, or whoever was, I don't remember who he said was in his loins. I don't know who's, yeah, that's kind of a weird thing to even say, but he, he makes that point that he was paying a tithe, uh, you know, ahead of the tithe. And um, so is tithing biblical? Not, well, yes, for the Old Testament, but are we anywhere in the New Testament commanded to tithe? No. But I find it interesting that people who say we shouldn't tithe, always, are doing so as an excuse to give less and not give more. Um, in the New Testament, in fact, by the way, the tithe is a little bit of a myth. They actually, when scholars worked it all up, they found that people were actually giving anywhere 18 to 23% of their income because you had tithes, but then you had festivals as well. The tithe was just the baseline. Then you had, you, you had tithes and then you had offerings. Offerings were free will. And then you would also give at different festivals and services like the Passover. That wasn't part of your tithe. That was just extra. And that was a hefty price. But the principle was always what you could afford. So in Leviticus, um, God says, if you're really 
if you can afford it, you give a bowl for this, right? He would tell him like there were gradations. You would give a goat for this. You would give a, 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 she, a lamb for this. You would give, and then there was a, uh, there was grain offerings, drink offerings. And then there was a, 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 a dove. And remember when Jesus says, are not two doves sold for one penny? Like that, that's literally a, something anyone could afford. Anyone who is able to put food in their mouth can literally afford a dove. And so nobody was blocked out according to what they could or couldn't give. And so um, the whole idea, <coughs> excuse me, of, of us giving money is found on Sundays, is found in 1 Corinthians 16. Um, Paul says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also you were to do. On the first day of every week, so this was a weekly thing, right? They were to, they were to, um, to give. Our first day of every week, each of you should put something aside and store it up. As he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when it comes. As he uh, may prosper, is, is this is a, a way to translate it in the NIV. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. So when he says, as he may prosper, um, he's saying, if you make more, um, give more. If you make less, give less. And Paul actually brings that up elsewhere where he says, hey, those of you that make more, you make more so you can give more. Those of you that make little, you, you, you give a little, and that's, that's cool. That's all in God's hand and timing. But I love that he says, um, here he says, uh, and people will say there, oh, well, that's for the gift. That's for the, yes, it is. But he points out that he had already instructed um, the churches of Galatia. that This is kind of like a common practice of what Paul's doing. And when he, um, he has them set aside the money weekly, he's saying this should be a regular thing. And because of the, um, he earlier, I mean, sorry, in second Corinthians, he says, remember this, whoever, cause he comes back to giving in second Corinthians chapter nine. And he says it this way. He says, I'm going to pull this one up here. Sorry. I, I don't flip so good when I'm doing the podcast. He says, the point is this. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, so, you know, it, it's pretty cool, man. Um, and God later on, you know, he got a little bit further down. He says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. Um, and then, you know, and he's specifically speaking about the gift there that, you know, he's asking, this will be like an offering. This isn't their regular giving. This is on top of their regular giving. That's what, to me, makes it a stronger argument is he's asking them, look, every week, bring this. Because they already had the responsibility of supporting the ministers, just like the Old Testament for which a tithe was set up. So no, nowhere in the New Testament does it say you have to give 10%. But this is what I always like to tell people. 
don't you think, because people go, that's old covenant. Don't you think in the new covenant, you would have more of a reason to give? I mean, Paul, in the, in the passage I skipped over, says, for God gave freely to us through Jesus. He's applying everything in the Old Testament, which was the atonement, the priests carry out atonement. He applies the what Jesus has done through the atonement is he freely gave everything to you, should you not? So there's a sense in the New Testament where it's an abundance mindset. that You give out of your abundance. You give out of your blessing. And it's part of worship and thanksgiving. It's not an obligation. So I don't want to see New Testament believers married to an Old Testament obligation. What I want to see is what Paul's trying to generate here. And that is a thankfulness, an overflowing of thanksgiving to God that's worship-filled, spirit-filled. And of course, Paul makes that one statement where he says, each one should determine in his heart beforehand what he will give. And that's, that's a key right there. Each one determines in his heart beforehand what he gives. So you're not told what you have to give. You are allowed to make it all a free will offering. But then Paul comes back and says, but no, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows in abundance will reap in abundance. And I've talked this whole time, Pete. Sorry. All I was going to throw in is my dad always points out that uh, the tithe started before the law was given. That's right. For the covenant or whatever. So he goes, that's not, he goes, it's not tied to that. Right. It was before. Yeah. That's where Abraham, when he gives a tenth of what he possesses in Melchizedek, the New Testament goes back to that. And so he doesn't say, oh, you know, it's it's in Hebrew. So you can argue, well, the Hebrews were still giving. and There is an argument that they were still giving to the temple and what have you as a, as a witness. But you're right. It's a principle that's timeless. And Hebrews makes that point. You know, it should be timeless. It should, because the giving to support ministers is definitely a New Testament principle. And once you hear that side of the argument, you're like, oh, okay, well then, yeah, I get that it's a free will and I should probably, I mean, I at least have that as a guide to go off of. Like, should I give less under the new covenant than I did under the old covenant? The logical answer is probably not, right? 10, 10% is, is kind of a nice baseline to measure it off of. But if the New Testament is much more glorious, as Hebrews points out, then wouldn't everything that they were obligated to do in the Old Testament kind of be better under the new covenant? <laughs> you know, what's funny is... Uh when I was uh, working for this one company as a financial planner, pretty much everyone I worked with was a Mormon. And I remember one time we're all at lunch and someone was talking about the tithe and, and he's like, well, you know, if you look at it in, in the old Testament, uh, you know, Abraham took out all of his expenses first and then he tithed on what was left or something like, <laughs> and then, and then, but, you know, one of the other guy goes, yeah, but you know, if you're stingy with God, God's going to be stingy with you. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And now I look back on that and I go, that is just stupid. How could God possibly be stingy with me when he's already given me more than I could ever possibly give to him? Yeah. Like he saved me from hell. Therefore, he can't be stingy with me. Yeah. Like everything above that is like even more of a gift, you know? And yeah. so the idea of being stingy with God, why would you want to be stingy with God when he's already given 
so much. It's not that you're giving in order to get, because I do remember growing up and in Sunday school and on the TV shows, you know, oh, when you give to God, he gives you back fivefold. And there was always like, oh, you know what? I gave this in the tithe and then God gave me $200 this weekend. And it was never about giving to give. It was giving to get. Yeah. Right. And that was just, it was the wrong mentality. Right. The right mentality is you give because he's already given everything to us. Right. Like you said, it's worship. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, man. And, you know, it's funny because um, if if I ever encounter somebody who, you know, kind of brings that up, that, hey, you know, we're not obligated to tithe, but we get to give and we should give more. If If I ever heard that, it would be like, okay, but... If you look at the people, and I'm I'm kind of a fan of um, Larry Osborne's. I think you should look at the giving of the church. I think it's very helpful because often the guys that are the most vocal um, are the ones who pop off and tell everyone else what they ought to be doing and how they should do it. And they're they're usually not the givers. I find that the people that give, um, it's strange, man. There's like this. Um, they usually are the best, they're the people you want with you because they're really with you. Like Jesus said, where they're investing their money, their heart is. And the other people, it's like, who, who in the heck knows what they're all about? You know, they're usually about themselves. They usually want something, right? They're there to get, they're not there to give. They're not there to serve. They're sowing sparingly. And they're a part of often why the church is reaping sparingly. It's that mindset, that consumer mindset. And when you find people, like I said, it's just a rule in life, isn't it, Pete? I mean, I know you've seen this. The guys that talk about how awesome they are at everything usually do the least. You know what I mean? The guys who just put their head down and get the work done, um, they're the guy. They're usually not super loud about it. They just get the work done. It's like that movie uh, Hustle and Flow. There's two types of people in this world. Those who talk the talk and those who walk the walk. <laughs> now, the guys who talk, they always try to get the walkers to do the walking for them. But all they're doing is talking. The walkers, they're usually too busy walking to listen to the talkers. It was funny. The way That's good. That's good. But, you know, it's it's like that in church. And here, kitty, kitty. I apologize for the whistle. Kitty, 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 kitty. But... You know, really, at, at the end of it, the question comes again, and, and hopefully <clears throat> we've armed you with enough of a biblical foundation to kind of get to the bottom of this. But when you hear someone say, hey, I've got these nuns and duns, um, you know, the Bible's really the place to go to with people and to remind. Um, all these scriptures I peppered this in with, it's good to have those to hand. Um, you guys know I was bivocational for 17 years and, and Paul was as well, but Paul argues in the New Testament for the right of those to make their living from the gospel. And it just gives more credibility when you've got someone who says, I have the right. I may choose at times to do something different, but I have the right to this. It gives Paul's argument a little bit more clout when he says, hey, um, when I've left churches, I've left them often with tens of thousands of dollars in the bank. Um, I don't spend all the money that's in, in, in the, in the church account. I don't want to take as much as I can usually so that I can make sure the church is doing fine. That's usually as a church planner where I'm at. 
But the reality is, would I would I make a living off a of church? No, oh, definitely. Would it have been easier to plant somewhere else other than uh, downtown Long Beach? Heck yeah. Would we have had more money? Yeah, certainly. Um, like Pete said, it was always a, a, an amazing miracle at the end of every month to see that not only could we pay our bills, but we had a surplus, right? And I remember you going, I don't know where this money comes from. And, you know, I don't know how we're paying this, you know. And, and, and Pete was a treasure for how long, Pete? One too long, right? Too long. <laughs> I hated it. I hated knowing what everyone gave. I hated it, hated it, hated it. Yeah. Yeah, and it and it it is kind of a game changer when you know, and yet at the same time, people are always worried, oh, look at them different. You kind of will. And it's not always in a bad way that you look at them different. In many ways, it can also be a good thing because there are people that's their spiritual gift. And you know, we're told for ourselves not to not to let the right hand know what the, the left hand's doing. If you think you're gonna be corrupted, I always thought that that I would be corrupted by knowing what people are giving. Um, I didn't find that because I remember reading Larry's whole uh, argument on that, which is in Sticky Church, by the way, or Sticky Teams, I can't remember. But um, he, he won me over, and I, and I since changed that tack. But what I will say is it's helpful for a leader. If you see leaders that aren't giving, um, that, that in itself right there is something. And I think you got to have frank talks with your leadership and say, hey, you know, uh, we really um, could use you modeling to the people. You're, you're here to, to, to lead and lead by example and reproduce yourselves. And that's always something good. I do think there's a place, and I've, I've done this before, where I'm making so little that I say, hey, my tithe is <laughs> just I'm not taking a paycheck. And that's okay. It's okay to be in that place. Um, if that's where you're at, that's where you're at. If you're trying to pay your bills, pay your bills. You so know? what if a guy like me said, well, that's my tithe. I'm not taking a paycheck. I never was taking a paycheck. <laughs> well, the, the the point is, is when you're set aside, I, I think you, you got to, it's funny because, you know, Charlie and I planted the church together and Charlie made really good money. Um, I, I would have made a fraction of what Charlie made a year. And, um, and at one point we were talking about it and we, we kind of got on the conversation of where we were both tag teaming. Now I was training him in church planning, but Charlie was not a leader that I was mentoring. He was more like a Barnabas, you know, he was an equal in, you know, ministry and, and knowledge and experience. So it wasn't like, uh, you know, Hey, you're my Timothy, but, um, he was learning the ropes of church planning. And at one point we talked about it and he, he came to the conclusion that I always kind of hope people come to. And that is that the guy who's making all the sacrifices, if it comes down to paying one of them, you, you pay that guy because he said, Hey, look, I'm not going to even raise it or talk about it. He goes, I have this job. It pays me very well. He goes, you're the one living almost below poverty level here. And he goes, you're, you're taking all the hits for the church in that department. So he goes, I'm not even going to touch that. And I think the person who says, hey, I'm willing to sacrifice this, um, you know, sacrifice what I could be making. I think there's a big argument for that. That guy, in that case, should get the income. That's the guy that the church should be willing to support first. Because again, where your treasure is, your heart is also. That's someone who's demonstrating to you. 
that they, they're going to the map for the church. They're laying their life down for the flock. And I think that's literally what it takes to, um, to be the leader. I think that kind of leadership just emerges. I don't think it's fought for. I think people see it. I was watching, um, <laughs> this is a, a, a very off uh, color illustration of this, but I was watching uh, Gotham, which is the story of Gotham City uh, pre-Batman, right? So it starts when Batman, Bruce is like 10 or 11 years old. And they show the Joker. They never say it's the Joker character, but you get it. And there's a scene where I think they took it from Malcolm X because there's a similar scene in Malcolm X where Malcolm X is leading a, a, a group of, of uh, burglars or whatever, bank robbers. And one of the guys says, hey, why do you get to be the boss? And he goes, well, let's decide right now. Both episodes, both the movie and the show did the same thing where he puts a gun on the table and he spins it. And he says, right, let's play a little game and see who gets to lead. And, uh, you know, one character takes it and puts it in his mouth and pulls the trigger. They're playing Russian roulette. And both Malcolm X and Joker click the, the trigger three times and says, that's who gets to be the boss. Any other questions? And he hands a gun back to him. And, and, and I think in many cases that is actually what leadership does. Leadership says, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll take the hits. I'll swallow the bullet. You know, and that often establishes leadership. The guy making the greatest sacrifice I think they did gets to lead. The wrong way. You're supposed to aim the gun at the other guy and pull three times and go, I'm the boss. It's so funny you say that because that's in both the movie. I remember watching that movie 20 years ago thinking that's what was going to happen. It was the guy who becomes the leader, just takes a gun, blows the other guy away, and goes, Anyone else want to be the leader? But. Instead, this is how it plays out. And you see that the guy earns the respect of the others, you know, in kind of a deviant way. I don't know how that I wouldn't I would look at you going, you are out of your mind. I'm getting out of here. (laughs) Well, maybe most of our core teams should do that as well. (laughs) So, hey, guys, I hope this helps you answer the question. Can we give you a formula for this? No, but. Constantly bring these scriptures up. If you're going to do that one-liner like we talked about. But it all comes down to discipleship at the end, really. And, uh, hey, once you take in all those offerings, um, Pete, somebody's got to count it and collate it and get it ready for the IRS. Who would that be? Well, uh, <laughs> it would not be Pete Mitchell. He doesn't like that job. He would I, be SimplifiedChurch.com. SimplifiedChurch.com. What do they do, Pete? They simplify your church. Yeah, that's right. They will do your bookkeeping for you. They will do IRS compliance, and they'll even provide you a personal assistance. And uh, I just love how every time we segue into that, if I've done it, Pete rolls his eyes. If I do it, or if uh, I, I don't know what I'm saying. Pete, I got to go. If Pete does it. <laughs> I roll my eyes. Thank you. I needed that. I talked a lot today. <laughs> Excuse me. And Bert. that was great. Podcast lo- listeners. Hey, that. Hey, podcast going. This is normally the time I'm at my cell by date now. It's been an hour, man. I got to go. I can't do this anymore. Game over, man. Hey, this has been the podcast today. Reminding you, if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going. Leave Peyton and Amazon.com review for reaching the unreachbook.com. And do what nobody else is doing. Like, leave that review. Church Planner Magazine.
Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Thank you.